This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! Uh, as I always say, um, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring the Yay. Central Works, a new play theater. They are hosted by Gary Graves and Jan Sleifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. And we want to thank, uh, we want to welcome our guest, um, John Tracy, the artistic facilitator of Theater First. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Um, the artistic facil- facilitator, I've never, I usually I hear artistic director or, you know, something more. What, what is a, how is a facilitator different from a director? Yeah, it's just a, it's a, thanks for asking. It's always great to have a chance to talk about things like that. I think one of the reasons we at Theater First decided to uh, rename the title uh, was to get a, a, a little bit closer to uh to get a little bit uh, closer to what we felt the job should entail, but also to in, you know, sort of invoke this, this conversation with folks when we can. And, uh, you know, we at Theater First, uh, when I came in five years ago, started trying to just really unpack one thing at a time. And it wasn't like unpack this and then unpack this. It was unpack this see what's inside it. Ooh, let's unpack a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. And, and in just some of the, the, the initial um, investigations, the idea of a, a facilitator seemed to be um, just a, a purposeful statement that began a conversation with the artists that would come into the, the room. Um, that said, the statement being, that artist doesn't work for me. I work for that artist. Facilitate their art and uh, that neither one of us truly worked for each each other. We worked for a story. But if we began a different conversation, a different collaboration between artists and like a lot of the things that we've done at Theater First, it's a strong statement, but then the, the, you know, and the statement by itself means nothing, of course, right? <laughs> right. Words, but it is something that an artist who may or may not have had a history with theater companies um, that um, have created um, spaces that are, are are less than ideal. It gave it gave it gives the artist. Um, something to hold on to something to go to 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 say well john you say you're the facilitator i don't feel like you're facilitating in this moment so (laughs) i gave language around something that could be tested so all of the statements we've made are are statements that we hope folks will go like okay but now let's test them out let's prove them out but it's the beginning of, of, of a promise yeah more than anything it seems like you you made yourself a a verb yeah, yeah I, hope, I mean, I hope so. Yeah, it's it sounds like I mean I work in the law um, law environment, and when I hear facilitator, I don't hear a judge. I hear an individual who just wants to have other parties sort of speak out things, and the facilitator is sort of like a a referee to sort of 
to, to make sure that both sides are heard or make sure that all thoughts are flushed out. And in an, in an arts environment, you know, that's exactly what we need. We've heard a lot of criticism about directors and well here, this is my vision and I'm going to impose my vision and my scope and, you know, my thoughts on what this company should be and what our season is going to be. And it sounds like you are really just saying, hey, I'm just opening up an environment, a playing field for, for everyone yeah. to come in and share their ideas. Yeah, I, I mean, of course, that is that is the desire, that is the, that is the intent. But we also know that we all suffer from uh, uh, a traditional structure that can say those things, but not necessarily do we always all come through on them. So, um, so to dig into that a little bit would be to say that um, you know, in a in a in a moment when we're and this this fantastically prolonged um, mo prolonged moment of progress. And I mean that by the fact that we've had these just like these revolutionary moments uh, throughout not only theater history, but just, you know, world history. But they, they, yeah. John, your, your uh, mic, we, we're uh, losing, you're losing audio. Here we are. How am I doing now? No, yep. you're perfect, perfect, yeah, perfect. Those that have been historically um, had the privilege, been in charge, have been often been able to just like wait out those revolutions. It's part. It's it's part of the privilege card that comes right. from my you know in my identity. I have to like hold and name my white card, um, right. my my, my, ma my male identifying card, my yeah. uh, my straight white male identifying card. <laughs> and all right. those cards give me a bunker if I want that bunker. Right. right where I can hold out this revolution. Luckily, uh, we are in a moment right now, I'd like to believe where um, we've just seen this, this, this prolonged, um, we've, we're seeing this, with some stamina and some momentum around something that hopefully just will, just will never end. Um, all that is context to say that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's not one way to tackle that in, uh -huh. in the theater. And, right. I say that to say that, you know, a lot of times, you know, anyone who does anything that, that might be different um, gets judged upon, like, mm -hmm. well, how are, how is your different the right different? Right. And well, what we're saying at Theater First is like the things that we do aren't the right different. They are one branch of exploration that yeah. must, that don't, that cannot exist by themselves. They also need what this theater company is exploring and what this mm -hmm. theater company is exploring and what's happening. And we'd have to explore all of the different possibilities and not even just pick one. Right. Um, that we actually need a coalition of different ideas uh, to fit the many different ways that we all want to continue to create art. No, it's, it's amazing because you started um, from the beginning, your time at uh, Theater First, you started this exploration and it feels like now the whole theater world is in this moment. But we will get to it. We're gonna get. We're gonna get to spend some time talking more about this. But we usually start off, Ridge. We usually start off asking you, as I do every podcast, how are you doing, Norman? And I don't have much to report this week, except he that minus Monday two is days. My birthday. Yeah, two minus two days, and it's your birthday. Woo! Um, and so this week I ain't done much anything, but sort of hang out, and I'm trying to set up with family um, zooms on Monday to so I can check in with family. Um, and that's been a bit of herding cats. And then hopefully I'll get to see some people tomorrow. 
We'll see how that goes. I'm I'm just trying to relax. <laughs> well, and besides, have... uh, the big thing the week this week was the debates. Um, oh, I yeah. watched a local debate for my district. I'm in Oakland in the Fruitvale district, and uh, uh, we have um, Noel Gallo. Gallo is the uh, incumbent, and we have two young people who are challenging him with fresh, bold ideas, and no experience and no real plan. <laughs> And it was a little painful to listen to. And then um, and then the next night was Kamala, which I was so happy about. I went and I got the, I don't know if you know, Randy Rainbow. The uh, He does a lot of satire parody, uh, musical theater parody, political stuff. Um, and he had done one when Kamala was anointed as the vice president uh, candidate. He did a thing, a whole takeoff on Camelot. And so I had to dig and find that and bring that back up because I was just so happy. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. If you got something going on on your birthday, let me know. I mean, if you're inviting folks over, because I want to. I thought be a I part did. I thought I invited you. Oh, OK. Well, uh, send, send it again. But okay. um, I was trying to look for my voting card because I have a sticker that says that I voted and I can't find it. And oh, uh, but in any case, I voted. You have a sticker? I haven't even opened mine. Is there a sticker in there? Yeah, there's a sticker. And of course, I was cleaning up because I've got someone coming over. And of course, I clean it's gone but in any case i voted so i got my uh my mail-in ballot and i immediately uh voted and of course i had my laptop right next to me so i can look at all the ballots and the measures and mm-hmm. you know really be informed and all that stuff so anyone who's worried because i've had a lot of friends who's, who are like oh my god you know has anyone gotten their ballots in or is the mail going to really bring it in on time right i'm here to say yeah you know i got mine and i've filled mine out and I sent mine out. So, but yeah, you were mentioning about the debates. So that's the local debates. But of course, we had the vice presidential debate. And I thought Kamala Harris did very well. And thank God for the fly. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, we anyway. jumped up. It was so funny. Did you watch the debates, John? A little bit, little pieces of it. I uh, <laughs> we I jumped up when the fly appeared. <laughs> and it stayed on. That was the cool thing. <laughs> Two minutes. <laughs> That I tell you, talk about upstaging in theater. We talk about upstaging all the time, and boy, that fly <laughs> give that fly an equity card. <laughs> no, it was wild. Um, because I was also watching, I had a group of high school friends, um, uh, email thread going back and forth doing it. I was watching, I didn't see much on Facebook during it, but um, Twitter, and then right afterwards, everybody, I guess anybody in the world can post a um poll. So all these people, I think the right purposely like made sure they put out all these polls that said Pence won. All the major polls say that Kamala won. So I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just ready to vote. Yeah, exactly. And also there were some other things. Okay, so let's see. I've got my little list here. It's a very quick list. Oh, for goodness sake. <clears throat> I mean, I swear to God, goodness, every time I think that I've seen everything in 2020, something new happens. The kidnapping plot. This oh, my God. crazy. What the fuck? I mean, John, do you have any thoughts about just, uh, I, don't, I mean, we've got these right-winger folks who are just going crazy. I mean, you know, f- folks on the right will say, well, what about the, uh, what is it? Um the um what's the what's the name of the left wing who are sort of the anti oh, antifa uh, antifa yeah exactly antifa, i get it confu- i get it confused with QAnon and all that stuff but the extremists are just coming all over the place and now we've got what i think 13 guys in michigan who were trying who had a plot Proud of boys. kidnapping yeah kidnapping gretchen whitmer i mean uh do you 
do you uh, how do you feel about just the extremism that's happening in America? And are you confident about the future? And uh, do you are you confident about you know the election in two weeks? How do you, how do you feel, John? I, I'm I'm terrified, um, embarrassed, uh, and uh, that we're not further along than than we than we are as. Mm -hmm. um, not only as as whatever we want to call this nation, but uh, as a as a world um, that we have not been able to dismantle uh, white supremacy and white insecurity, um, and that and that we we made these false equivalencies uh, across the board that that continue to just. Uh, Buffer the space for for white feelings, and um, and that I'm 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 very terrified about. I mean, let's look at this year. This has been like the worst. There's a, a really terrible year, and it's really scary. like when we keep going. Like, what's next? We already know. Like, we have one more big plot point coming in a couple of weeks. Right. Right. Like, right. No matter how this. Um, election goes the this this you know like there's nothing more dangerous than an animal that feels like they're in a corner right, right. there's nothing more dangerous that's a great analogy so yep. the idea but maybe there is one more dangerous thing somebody finally becoming a voice for that animal in the corner right mm -hmm. and and giving voice to to white supremacist ideals that have that have in some ways quieted but pressurized over these great many decades yeah um, that that if if trump i mean i'm putting wins in quotes y'all wherever right right quotes the 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 way that that will open up that voice and um, the confidence around that voice, mm -hmm. um, and then, but simultaneously, if if Biden and and Kamala um, pull it off, um, what what happens when someone someone who does has has felt felt um, taught to be superior, taught that they were superior, right? then had themselves pressurized in a box where they felt like they were oppressed. Yeah. Given then a voice to say like, no, 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 you are somehow supreme. Yeah. And then do you think that, do you think that those folks that fall for that just mythology are going to uh, give it up? Yeah, exactly. Mythology you know. is a good word for it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it is fascinating because I mean, I don't know how old you are, John, but I would think that the newer generations would be more inclusive or more receptive to interracial, you know, relationships and just openness and whatever. And this year has taught me, if anything else, that racism is passed on from generation to generation. You know, and like I still think of the 17-year-old kid. I forget the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Oh, right. Rittenhauer um, or something like that. Right, Rittenhauer. Yeah, exactly. And I would think, now wait a minute, how can a post-millennial, you know, in the age of the internet and connecting and, you know, streaming and having friends who are, who should be interracially, how can they be a racist? But it happens. Um, Norman, do you have a hot take on, let's say, the second debate? How do you think Kamala did? How do you think... Um, 
I, you know, I, I love everybody who says they're disappointed in her. And I'm like, come on. We're, and, and what I love is his strategy seemed to, to be to box Biden and her into the corner of your crazy leftist socialist. And I'm like, Kamala, socialist? <laughs> Kamala, not law and order? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and it seemed like Trump's thing was when he did it was to um, to push that he was the law and order candidate and that these are not the law and order candidates. And I'm like, no, no, no. These are pretty much straight up old school law and order candidates. They're talking about willing to have a conversation about something else. But no, no, no. You can't taint them with that brush. So I would and, and they're. Um, Trump kept saying, wow, you just lost the left. You said you're against this. You just lost the left. And I'm like, you don't understand. We are the left. These are not our people. We just want you out. We will vote for them. I don't care what they say. We will vote for them. Yeah, you know, I think uh, that's exactly right. I think that Trump is hoping that the Bernie folks and the Elizabeth Warren folks will be so upset at having a moderate candidate that boxing Biden in or having him refute, like they were talking about, um, you know, um, can you remember what Trump was saying to Biden? You know, can you name one law enforcement agency that supports you? Oh, right. Yes. And, you know, and and Biden didn't, you know, step onto that third rail. No. And, and then he lied and said that the Portland sheriff was supporting him. And that guy came out. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think we're far more united because I think. The, you know, instead of being angry, of course, four years ago, the, you know, the Bernie folks and the Elizabeth Warren folks were upset that Hillary got in and the way that she got in, you know, the tactics of Debbie Wasserman yeah. and the Democratic National Convention pushing Bernie out. But we're not that angry. Any, I mean, I'm not a progressive. I'm, I'm a moderate Democrat. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the progressives, they're like, listen, we are far more upset about Trump than right. we are about that. Yeah. So the strategy is not working and the polls are very, no, very isn't. strong. So. So, John, so you still feel pessimistic, although, you know, the polls, I mean, I, I don't see how any way. So I guess what you're basically saying you is. You didn't say pessimistic. You said. <laughs> what, what, you know. Hey, yeah. Um, no, I, hey, I, to, to just kind of jump in on that, I would just say, um, you know, I, 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 I think folks know I skew pretty far, 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 far to the left. I make a lot of left folks feel very much in the center and that's and, and um but um two things on that right i'm will i be voting for for the biden kamala ticket absolutely i will and the way that i look at it for myself with all my challenges around around the dynamics of both the democratic uh, platform mm -hmm. and of course whatever the, you can call the republican platform anymore um um is it's kind of, I don't know, I, there's gonna be a better analogy than the one I'm going to reach for right now, but it's like, I don't think of, when I think of the, the, the state, as it were, like the, mm -hmm. you know, I don't think of it as like, oh, who am I voting for to represent the America that I live in? Um, the state doesn't actually represent the communities that I work with by right. Age, right? Um, so you're instead voting for the individuals that will be the, the, the mouthpieces of the organization in which you will work with, fight with, debate with, hopefully come up with some, some, you know, some common ground with. Which one do you want to, want to be there, right? Yeah. Which one do you want to 
debate with and challenge in order to make a better space for all of its inhabitants, right? Right. And I think that that is just a very, I mean, that help hopefully unites a whole lot of us in the idea of what do we want the labor to be these next four years? Right. Yeah, I totally yeah. hear you. And I do, and you know, you had mentioned- That to me seems really positive that we are looking to work we're not just looking to stop something. We're saying, no, no, no. There's all this stuff we want to see happen. Yeah, exactly. And just to piggyback on what you said, John, earlier about, you know, these folks, these right wing folks are not going to just sit back idle if Biden and Harris wins. I guess that will be the next challenge. You know, what will happen? Um, because, you know, it's sort of the same thing that happened when uh, Obama won. You know, we on the left were, you know, I, I remember friends were just crying, you know, in, with joy. Um, but clearly there was an undercurrent of hatred that sort of percolated and, and rose up, and that's why we have Trump. So I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I can only hope and pray that we get to a sense of normalcy uh, where we can still be different. But, you know, as King says, we can disagree but not be disagreeable. And, and with that – Let's let's bring in John Tracy, and I'll hand the keys over to you, Norman. Sure, uh, John, and I love this this the way this discussion has been going. Um, this is the my Bay Area Directors Summit, the Bad, bad Summit. Summit. I love yeah. it. Um, but I wanted to talk to people who are making theater, and you were high on my list right off the bat. What was the name of your company up north? Was it Darkroom? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You- I grew up in Vallejo and uh, my buddies, um, we started, we started first like as kids, like we're talking like nine, 10, 11 years old. We started like with our, with our video camera, we started dark room productions, making movies like every moment of the day. And that's, that, that shifted us into, you know, the, the community theaters that were as much like a place to tell stories as it was to like, have a second home you know we were those folks the outcasts right. the school of all that so we can kind of come together but we um i don't know if you've ever i well, this is a big jump um mm. uh, malcolm gladwell's book that talks about the ten thousand hours um oh yes about, right of, of like where do you get those ten thousand hours and i'm not saying i've got them and i'm not saying i have anything because i of the hours i have but where i lucked out was that uh, we we started this company. We wanted to build theater, and a particular individual ran a particular warehouse. And the Dan Robeski is his name. Passed away uh, some time ago. Yeah. And we had this massive warehouse space, twenty four hour access to it, uh. Uh, where and we paid like fifty dollars a month in rent for it. Sweet. And that is where that was school. Mm-hmm. We could try anything, do anything. Our budgets were so small that that it didn't matter that there was, you know, and this this is not my joke. This is somebody else's joke. But like we were doing socially distanced audience members way before it was cool. Right? <laughs> you know, there were already like 10 seats between people at a lot of our productions. But it gave us a chance like who's going to give like 19, 20 year old me the keys to like King Lear or something like that. Right but there, we're like, okay, let's do it. I don't know if that King Lear was any good or not, but I got to do King Lear. I got to know what it was to 
to thrive and fail at things like that. And it was just on and on and on. We just were able to do things like that. So yes, sorry, that was a long way around to the end. No, no, no. I mean, that's, that was, no, we know, love the question that. is always, what's, we, what's we your origin that. and where you started? And that was it exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know for me, I was just getting to that point in my career where I was aware of the sort of greater Bay Area. And I'd heard your name, but what I remember meeting you was at The Magic. It was when The Magic did the Young Writers Program and they brought you in as a director. And they gave you some crazy little script. And I'll I'll never forget, you said, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, because it was a bunch of little like vignettes, these little micro vignettes. And you said, so we're going to punctuate each one of these with everybody. Because it was sort of a, um, like a Reservoir Dogs kind of thing or something. Right. And you're like, we're going to punctuate each one of these with a everybody. Fuck, 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 fuck. And then into the next scene. Little, and it just little, blew everybody's mind. Because these were pieces written by high school students. And you even kind of went, is it okay if we do <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't know where to go with it. And I'm like, who is this man? You just keep coming at it in a way that is very much you, but also is that restructuring based on what the materials are, who's in the room, how do we tell this story? And it seems like you've been doing that from the beginning. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I look at, I mean, it's so great to hear that story because I'm like, oh, I guess that did happen. And that actually, it's like, oh, right. Right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I look back at that, and 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 of course, like I'm always excited to, to about all of. I mean, there's there's no piece. There's pieces that like I'm prouder than others of create being a part in creating. But um, but I love them all because they were all such great training. I do I do also look back at those times going like. The difference between what I, I hope to be now as an mm-hmm. artist and a creator and a facilitator versus what I was then. It was like I was very much stuck in the like auteur space, yeah. right? The and like you know, the insecurities of coming into anywhere, what do you match that with? Ego. A lot right. of ego, right? And you're coming in going like, I'm gonna say fuck, 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 fuck between every scene and all these things. And it's not that those things weren't necessarily like Maybe that worked, maybe that didn't work, but I don't think that there was a lot of like, what I would hope would be more of the practice now would be really trying to create a room where we were developing all of those ideas together rather I, than, yeah. I have, a, I have a quick question about yeah. that. It's it's interesting listening to that because, you know, I, that's the type of theater that I enjoy. I really enjoy the rawness of language and the rawness of how people really, really think. Like yeah. you go to the streets and you let's say you speak to a homeless person or someone who's really trying to, and they're just, they just speak in their language and it may be crass, it may be crude, it may offend, you know, delicate ears, but it's real. And that's a sort of theater that I don't often get. The question that I have is, and I've spoken to particularly female creators, females who are in the, uh, who are directors, who are producers. Like I had one conversation very recently about David Mamet and we were talking about style and I was like, oh yeah, David Mamet and Glenn Garrigan Ross or whatever. And she sort of repelled. I mean, she sort of recoiled because she was like, oh my God, that's the theater I hate because it's so male dominated. Mm-hmm. I guess the question that I have is, do is there, and it's a worry that I have as a writer because I want my writing to be real, but also to be inclusive to everyone. Like I may write a female role, but I don't know if I've hit it until a, a woman says, yes, that's right. Do you worry that, um, I don't know, uh, that your vision may dominate, let's say 
I don't know, uh, your, your audience or it may push away an audience. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the, the case of, you know, we're, we're taught to come in so, so strong. Like, you know, like every second counts, right? If you miss one, if you miss a space, somebody else is going to fill it, fill it. And there's this, this weird way where we're, we're, uh, we're brought up to compete for, for, for a space in the room. Right. right. Um, but like inherently as the director coming in, I have to look at like there is privileges that I get that I that, that, that come with that. And I have to check those privileges at the door because I can go on and on and on and I can say like that and say that. But what did I miss by dominating the space in that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I don't know. Like I think I'm trying to because I know that doesn't necessarily hit exactly what what you're talking about there, Reg. But uh, well, I think everyone's figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. If you, yeah. Well, yeah. I would say so. Watching you go from that first, and I'd already heard your name. You were commuting, right? You were commuting from North Bay to come down and work at first. I, my life has been commuting. You know, it's been uh, one, I, I've, probably most of like the uh, prep prep time for any show that I've ever worked on or anything mm-hmm. I've ever done has been in the car, driving with one hand, trying to eat something with the other, thinking right. through things. I mean, there was a time when I was the artistic director of a, of a touring company out of Petaluma, and I was living oh. Davis. So you imagine it's like 90 minute drive every day back and forth, things like right. that. So commuting's always been the thing, right? But and and it kind of because you are a local yeah. trying to make your find your space in this theater scene, you're kind of jumping into the big thing. It was nice to see you started to pick up work all over the place. And yeah. Yeah. Did that transition just feel natural or was it kind of like, oh shit, is this is this happening? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, first, you know, there's there's been some people that helped that make that happen. You know, oh yeah, say names. Barry Rutgers and the George Maguires early on. The mm-hmm. uh, the Joy Carlin is the one who really uh, sort of got me down into the Bay Area um, officially and started to get me into AD gigs and um, and just started you know started helping me plant the seeds for something. Mm-hmm. And then of course there was sort of this this you know, a lot of people just gave me a chance um, right away. And I'm really happy that they did give me that chance right away. And it helped me build out something, something much, you know, a resume really, really quickly. And I'll, I'll just, I'm forever indebted to the, um, to, to Bill and Susie over at SF Playhouse for like, I, I swear. And I mean, here's the story of me, Bill and Susie. Hey, John. Yeah. Hi. Here's a play for you to direct directed it's not perfect i'm still figuring it out oh okay well maybe you need another play to direct you know okay <laughs> well figure out these things uh, okay it's not perfect well how about okay cool you better try this one now and it was just every time I came <laughs> up a little short it was answered with here's another one to learn a little bit more on. Uh-huh. and that was i mean the, the luck of of that alone the luck of loretta opening up the space over magic um mm-hmm. and mtc aurora has been like great and the, the, there was a synergy for a while, a while around those things uh that allowed me to just 
and, and, and I know it's rare and I call it out as rare. I was able to like, live and pay rent off of directing plays. Yeah, how many people get to do that? <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was it was a nice few years in a lot of ways, and I don't know if we want to segue into it, but it also sort of, it birthed the understanding of what needed to happen next for my career, which moved me into yeah, no, oh, definitely go go. And, well, I mean, it it uh, is this theater first or before theater first? This is, I mean, I think it it there sort of was this this dawning moment, which uh, uh, happened over the years where, and of course this is with deep respect to all of the people that I've named and many, and many more that have given me so many opportunities. But I was, under, I was starting to look at like, I had always been taught and maybe I taught myself to believe that theater was my, my, my political outlet. It was where I was right. going to scream and shout and it's where I was going to do all of these progressive things. And then there's that moment when, for me, only, I can't speak for anyone else, uh, I realized, oh wow, this, this bullhorn that is theater um, is also, that, 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 that I thought was for progress, also holds all of these really traditional ideas within it and actually locks in a history of racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism. Yeah. And that, that I, in trying to do something different was in many ways, just helping keep, keeping that all yeah, in Continuing the, the cycle, yeah. Continuing the cycle, I mean, art, over time, as much as we'd like to think of it as progressive, has actually carried all uh, a lot of horrible, horrible history with it. Yeah, that's of course that's one branch of what art's done. Obviously, I you know you know speak to anybody else, and we can see all the ways that art has brought forward many cultures and and, and helped them survive. Absolutely, um, but. Um, we aren't also in a dynamic yet in our world where we can look at traditions and let go of some things in order for the best parts of them to thrive. But some of those things need to be let go of, right? Right, well, it's hard because you feel rooted. So that feels safe, it feels secure. Yeah. To let go of that is unsafe, is yeah. insecure. Absolutely. And I also understand that like a lot of my success was also rooted in in the, the safety. I'm gonna put this in the way that I'm, you know, Put in the way it is the safety of the identity that I present. Sure. You know? and, and I needed to uh, come start to start to figure out how to work against that um, around. You that. definitely seem to have challenged it because I, I will say, as a local, I was excited to see you coming up and things like Animal Farm, where it's like, oh my God, this is, you know, you are you are doing what should be done. You are taking this story that we should be familiar with and rebirthing it. Ooh, I yeah. want to hear about this. I love Animal oh, Farm. Yeah, this was, um, well, you can, John can say more about it than I, but it's a wonderful adaptation of Animal Farm outside. We, um, we had a, I mean, it, again, there's, there's, I can't believe, you know, this, it's always why I'm terrified by, by doing these interviews. It's like, what will I leave out? <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up because it means I can talk for a second about shotgun players, which yeah. is a, you know, continues to be a home. I'm a company member there. I've been a company member there for 10 years or something. Ooh, nice. Thing. But yeah, I mean, um, 
it was man, I don't it's so weird to even know how that came about, but um they had for a while that was something that was big of shotgun is doing these outdoor shows. Right. Um and it's always like, you know, everything is site specific. Every show is site specific. But one of the things about John Hinkle Park was like, what fills this space, right? right. Like, I know Cal Shakes even started there and I didn't get to see anything that they did there. So I didn't right. see like, right. like, we also know, like we've seen outdoor stuff, it's like, it doesn't fill the space, right? Yeah. And so Animal Farm was something, of course, that made a lot of sense to me um, and with my politics, things I wanted to talk about. Um, I also realized that like, you know, I, I don't, I don't spend, you'll see the most of the place that I, I work, I don't spend a lot of time going, you know, fuck Trump in, right. like, that's sort of a given. Um, what I'd rather do is do work that makes us go like, all right, let's look inside our own platforms and yeah. look at the same classism, look at the same issues and the same bubbles that we're creating that we're, we're, we're pointing at from, from another platform, right? And that's why I thought, you know, Animal Farm was a perfect one, right? Here's one about a revolution and then becoming the very thing, right? Um, and that, that you revolted against. At a time when we weren't, I, I don't remember that being a time of revolution. It just felt like somehow the story just popped wonderfully, even though it wasn't directly responding to anything that I could see. Yeah, there was a there was there was a piece of language that we came up with very early on in that which spoke very much like, you know, I think one of the things you got to figure out is like, okay, there's the audience you want and there's man, we could have a conversation about like actual necessary outreach that actually has impact. Right. Um, and there's the audience you're going to get at yeah. this moment. And what, you know, if you're shotgun in that moment and unfortunately still true there's going to be a lot of like aging white north berkeley liberals they're yeah. going to be in the space yeah going to be in the space it's and their have, space yeah there's, there's 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 and and within that came up this space this this piece of language that i'm going to misquote but it's when um the pigs towards the end things are starting to fall fall apart and uh napoleon's like they're these, these revolution, these others, they're screaming and shouting, they're yelling, they're yelling, they're yelling, uh, and, and, and being pressurized by that. And Squealer, the, the confidant saying, let them yell, let them scream, let them just, it is, it is necessary to, for a fascist dictatorship to have folks that scream in a circle. It keeps them all doing what they're doing. It keeps them all yelling at each other, sharing facts about things that happened that they're so mad about. But that energy just eats itself. And that became sort of the core of what we wanted to talk about with the audience we knew we were going to get. Yeah. All love to North Berkeley folks because there's so many great ones. But it was something that actually resonated and we could have deep conversations about. Mm -hmm. um, that was the other thing that we decided within it, but it came from that seed was right. um, when you read the book, it's very much about the concept of like the sheep. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like, like it's all these animals, but like there's a, there's a duh version. I think these people are the sheep. What right. we did is like, what would happen if we intellectualized all of these characters mm -hmm. to, uh, to have like, you know, some real, thought process and being able to filter and still 
fall for it. You know, it's you know, it's interesting because that that was during a time, you know, when um, Orwell wrote that, you know, there were all sorts of writers in the post uh, um, post World War II yeah. that wrote about, OK, we may have won against fascism or whatever, but what created it or, you know, what's happening right now? You know, you have writers like Rod Serling. You have writers like uh, who wrote um, Rhinoceros. We talked about it in a long, yeah. long time yeah. episode. Oh, yeah. 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 But you had these writers and I get the feeling that, you know, like I remember when uh, when Shotgun had because that was only a couple of years ago that because I, I remember the poster of Animal Farm. Well, they brought it back, right? We brought we brought it. It actually. So it had a nice life at schools throughout throughout mm -hmm. the years. And then we brought it back at theater first a couple of years ago. Yay. Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome. But I, I do wonder, you know, are we at the time right now, do you think, John, where we sort of need though that that sort of story or that narrative now to sort of talk about what's happening now? Uh, because I get the feeling that in the post in the 1940s, there was this energy by writers to say, hey, listen, let's not get relaxed in commercialism and consumerism and the toys that we have and, you know, the rock and roll and television or whatever. There are things happening within our government, no matter, you know, whatever, whatever country it is, like, you know, the rise of communism or whatever. That's how stories like Animal Farm in 1984 pop up. Um, it, do you see that energy happening right now? Well, I would say I'm going to jump on this because sure. I think it's great for where theater first, the, the burgeoning of theater first. Now, I knew about theater first and it turns out I knew about them fairly. You know, when I started Oakland Public Theater here in Oakland, they had been a relatively new company. I watched them be nomadic and go all over the place. This poor man, Clive, um, kept um, finding a space, turning it into a theater space, getting it, you know, People, this energy is happening. It's starting to happen. And the landlord's going, we can rent this space out to somebody now and taking it away from him over and over again. That happened. Uh -huh. And I remember when they did their first season and they announced in the brochure that um, that they were an in a company that focused on international stories, which cracked me up because Clive is British. <laughs> And I'm like, every story I see feels British to me. But I looked at the brochure and sure enough, there was Argentina, there was Russia, there was, I forget, you know, there were like four or five places that were not England, but most of those were the scripts that they actually used. Oh, South Africa, that was the other one. Um, most of the scripts they used were translations, British translations of these stories. So they all felt British to me. Yeah. And then, so he had his time, he passed it on, Michael Storm popped in and did a wonderful job of navigating that space for a while. When you come in, it seemed to me like you sort of exploded it. Like you started from the place where Reg's question comes from, that you find a story that you feel is worth exploring and, and you know, developing. You've taken, it feels to me like you've taken theater first and sort of used that company to do that now. We're going to explode this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what what the you have to look at like what the assets of an organization or a company are and see what where they can thrive and where they can't. And Theater First seemed to be really well positioned within a in a within a much larger conversation to just take as I said take one path and explore it for a while. And that was in a space where we needed to, to really. Um, debunk a lot of the language being used in mission statements about equity and representation. We need to, mm -hmm. I don't want to say debunk, um, right. 
and look at for like what were actually actionable items that could be explored deeply in, uh, within that theater first room. Like, like the one that we're going to explore is how do you, how do you, how can you, and if so, how do you decentralize whiteness in a traditionally white led theater company still led by a white dude? Right. Is that possible? Is that necessary also? Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and that was, I mean, to circle all the way back is artistic facilitator was like, first thing is lock the head off, off of it. <laughs> he didn't run this place anymore. Mm -hmm. He worked, the people, the artists run this space. And then the artists come and go like, all right, is that bullshit? Because you know, when you say that, that sounds like bullshit, right? <laughs> you know, all right, right, cool. So instead of like ever having me go like, like what feels like probably the way that you would trust me the least is probably me going like, hey, trust me, right? <laughs> so instead of trust me, uh, here is all of the stuff that we, we, have, we have done that you can trust that even if there's a moment where I do something that you're like, mm, I don't like that. That is not, that is not what we want. This is exactly against it. You have the buffer of, of an entire organization of humans and rules that, that allow you space and access to your safety in the room. Um, mm. And like, and that, that builds out of, I mean, the first, very first thing that happened when I got there was, um, the reimagining of the board, um, and in order, to, and and we reimagined the board to the point point at, at this moment as I speak to you, mm -hmm. um, there's the board happens to be a hundred percent BIPOC, a hundred percent. Right on. Yeah, we had uh, Sherry Lynn on. We had yeah. Sherry Lynn on uh, as oh, the right, first. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Cherry, Cherry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and that means that. Um, Though all of those voices, all of those minds, and all of, all of those humans run the company. Mm -hmm. They run the company. They're not. They're not a board that just kind of come in and throw a check or they all the way. The, all of that. All of that's gone from our board. Our board runs the the moral compass and the, the and the financial structure of the organization. Mm -hmm. um, and I work for them. Right. And it was with them that they, that we said, okay, well, all right, here's the things that we want to do. We, we want to first look at these words that people are using, like, uh, like diversity, right. inclusion, allyship, and look at how those have actually been tools of white folks kind of staying exactly where they are. Right? Yeah. Now, I don't want to actually disparage those terms, and I have disparaged those terms in the past, um, but I'm going to say well, that- Well, my understanding is diversity is now like off the table. If you're, if you're applying for grants, you can't even use the word anymore. <laughs> well, there's the, the problem with these is that all of these words have been co-opted by every platform. And yeah. so they don't actually have necessarily, there's, there's probably a meaning inside all of those words that I'd be like, yeah, I, I, that definition I like. But the problem is we use words with multiple definitions to manipulate, to create false, false connections between people. Because I say a word diversity, you hear this definition, I hear this definition, and we agree to not ask each other what that definition is. Right, right exactly. Yeah. You know? And so, but for, you know, I watched diversity in mission statements for years, basically, you know, meaning um, like 
how many times uh, I'm speaking from my orbit because me saying this to you is yeah. something that, that, that you will know on a level. Oh, I remember. I remember. Yeah. But I understand. I, I mean, looking at mission statements that said, we are diverse. We are, oh, we are 50% persons of color. Right. What the fuck is diverse about? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's like diverse from what is what seemed like. And that seemed to be the same thing with inclusion for a while, too. It's like, yeah. well, who's doing the including folks? Yeah. Right? You know, it's uh, funny. Uh, we, we've had a couple of, uh, like, I think Radhika Rao, she would talk about how other companies would want her in because, oh, we got to bring in our inclusivity. So yeah. we need to get an Indian person in. So, you know, yeah. you be our token Indian person. Yep. And of course, she felt manipulated. And a lot of people of color feel manipulated because it's like, well, she's not uh, part of the conversation. She's just included. Right, right. Exactly. A question I had for you, John, it's wonderful listening to this. And it's so wonderful, the vision of theater first and the humbleness. You know, that's a lot of things that you don't get from a lot of um, executive directors or people who are in command. The the uh, the willingness to say, hey, listen, I may sit in this particular chair, but I'm willing to open the door for um, for for all of the conversations to come in. Do you feel yourself more as an administrator, or do you feel are you still do you still consider yourself of creative? Like, do you still write? Do you still direct? Great question. Oh man, you you, you hit the button. Um, it's I mean that is that is there's a lot of my own personal conversations with my partner right now about. Mm -hmm what that looks like. I mean, COVID has brought that up for all of us. Like, right. you know, who are we? Um, there is like, you know, I, I believe that my job at theater first, first and foremost is to make sure that there are the resources there for artists to thrive. Mm -hmm. If we're going to create a space where artists are, uh, get to tell their own stories and get to be and get to have creative teams that identify deeply with the story that's there so it's not it's not a story about um filipino heritage told by a white dude directed by a white dude like like it's like what is it to create those affinity spaces like mm -hmm. it's, it's my job to make sure that those resources are there that's unless you can move that job up to an art form you shouldn't be doing it right mm -hmm. building and producing and navigating um is an art form and it's one that i'm right I, feel like I'm, I am i i'm in my nascent stages of in a lot of ways because there's so much learning about my you know my own self and my own like i grew up in like western storytelling and sure. learning how to just unpack that um um, and and to and to make sure that you're you're supporting stories, not only the stories that are not mine, but must be supported, but must be also told in a way that may be not my way of telling that story. Uh-huh. Okay? Which you guys have done. Oh my God. You know, when I think of a, what is their name? Star, um, the playwright? Uh, uh, Star Finch? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. to bring in people like that to tell these stories, which... Which, what I love on one level, they're stories. They're stories like we recognize stories, but then they aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so proud of every single thing that we put up there. And there are, and, and some of the things that we put up there, I'm like, no, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't resonate to me in the, in, in the same way. But 
but being able to just like detach myself from the center of that story and understand myself from a different orbit is powerful. Yeah. Powerful experience. The idea of being able to like to say straight to artist faces is like, you do not need to prepare this story for anyone other than the people that you want to prepare it for, which could be intersectional if you yeah. want it to be. But it's like, it's no longer the thing of like, you know, the, you know, again, a thing that, that, that we all know so well of the, oh, hey, we've commissioned this um, Indian playwright. And then the workshop process turns out to be, how do we package this for old white donors? Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. We've experienced that in Hayward. Like, well, this is a Hayward audience, so you got to be careful. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's like that has also become part of my job is understanding. Like, I need to be able to protect, do my part, part to protect the creativity in that space. Mm -hmm. Part of that is not interfering or intoxicating it, but also right. making sure that my job will be like, okay, I know that we'll have an intersectional audience. How does this stay true to itself? Mm -hmm. But also, how do we talk about it with multiple communities? That's my job. Yeah. I had, I had a, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I wanted to, did you want to spend any time talking about uh, episode one, Magic Fruit Delano, and you really should sit like a lady? I would, I would love to. Oh, it's been a, um, it's, yeah. so yeah, we all, so we, thank you. We, um, like so many others, we have went from being a theater company to, uh, I guess I, I, film company in the last few months. And we decided that what we wanted to do was um, do everything that we do, commission uh -huh. new work. And that's, you know, something mm -hmm. that says that we only do really new work or development of old work to, to make it new. Um, right. And we wanted to figure out how to do, give our communities um, something to just reflect off of over like these next, this next season. Um, and what we did is we thought, well, instead of, so we commissioned six pieces, but instead of them being sequential, like you would know a season to be, um, right. they're in, in one way or another, they're split up into multiple parts, like a serial. Sure. Right. And so there's, um, this first episode felt like, an, like we, an entire season worth of work, which is great. It also is like, I can't believe there's 10 more to do, <laughs> but, um, but, um, but getting it off the ground last night. And I mean, I folks like what, what it was like the every nightmare scenario up to, we had to like change servers an hour before the premiere yesterday. Oh. Just sitting there like, like this scene, if it would upload onto our website, Right in time, and it was it's like it's supposed to be at six o'clock, like six o one. It loaded, and we just pressed go. It was that sort of drama. Um, but so so that's that's that side of it. The other side of it is we have these six pieces: um, Magic Fruit, uh, written by Camille Shokri and Alejandro Rivas, directed by Susanna Martin, visually mm. designed by Aaron Gilly. They've created a space about just it's just, it's about. How do you, I mean, it's, it's a lot of questions. It's, it's how do you create a relationship online during COVID, uh -huh. you know? And it has to do not with necessarily a romantic um, relationship. Like it's how do you, like what is connection? Right. Zoom, right. And what happens, the fears of like, 
oh, someday we're actually maybe going to be sharing air and be in public space again. Is that good or bad? Like, we build an entire dynamic this way. And there's this also, which I think is fun within the world of Zoom, is deals so much with the concept of food and culture within food. Huh. How does that play out throughout it? So theirs is, is very much the, like, you, you, if you see episode one, you get like the first 20 minutes of the play and you see where it goes from there. The next, and then right, sequentially right after that is the first, what uh, we have, we have a commission from the, from the NEA um, to look into uh, the Delano grape strike. Oh, right. Yes. We, I saw that. I saw that you were playing with that. Yeah. We're, and so, you know, we're always trying to. Holy shit. That. Talk about Filipino. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, ah, that's going to be fucking cool. We what we did was we went all right. We're looking at like how folks identify within with with within the own stories that they told. And like, here were three figures as this, that we were wanted to look at. One was Larry Leong, of course. Yeah. Um, um, Cesar Chavez and um and Dolores Huerta. Dolores Huerta, yeah. And then we thought, well, wait a minute. Wouldn't it be cool as an exploration to not assign, not have one playwright do this? Oh, what if, had, uh -huh. what if we had a playwright that identified with each one of those characters, only writing that character and uh -huh. working together on 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 how that would be built? So Jeffrey Lowe's doing it, Leong. Lisa Ramirez is doing Huerta, and uh, Carlos Aguirre is doing as uh, Chavez. All of it's being developed by Sean San Jose, and Herrera is working on the visual design of it. But and I'm trying to be as quick as humanly possible. They <laughs> decided instead of giving us segments in that way, they wanted to do three documentaries before they showed their their entire piece. Okay. So in episode one, you get. Uh, an interview slash documentary um, with Jeffrey Lowe talking to Ron Moriera about oh. it. Um, and it's, yeah. it's, and so you, to me, and probably don't have time to talk about philosophy of theater, but like, well, take your time. You know, we, we, have, we have plenty of time. We have enough time. She's We're here. <laughs> um, so, I mean, just very quickly, like, I think that the future of theater is is in many places. One of them is for us to stop talking about stages and seats, and we need to start talking about the the tool of theater for us to explore interpersonal communication uh -huh. and how how we learn to understand each other and translate each other, much in the way that uh, we were just talking about the word diversity, like how we can say one thing, but it be defined by another in a different way and how we manipulate and move that line all over the place. Um, that to me is the theater that I want to see. I mean, you, the three of us are in a piece of theater right now. We're in a perfect piece of theater because we're each right. other's we're performing for each other and we're each other's audience members simultaneously. That's right. what theater needs to, and I think that that's where you can evaluate all of the power of theater. So a documentary about Larry Etleong with two people communicating about an idea is a piece of theater to me. Right. Third on top of that is um, You Really Should Sit Like a Lady uh, by Lisa Evans. And they, along oh. with Ashley uh, Smiley, have been working on a piece that Lisa had been building for some time uh -huh. um, uh, about just, um, just trans narrative. Um, and and it's this, this solo piece that they've been building. And they 
they created something outside of the realms of, of narrative or documentary. It's For me, it feels like a hybrid of an essay and then this conversation that goes even deeper into this, like some, some, some hard truths about, about very, very personal experience and it's very raw and yet it's Lisa. So they are very, very, very funny. And so yeah. raw and funny happen <clears throat> together. All of this, so he's to see one episode is not only to see these three chapters yeah uh, essentially you're also we've wrapped them together with what we call community like we want the whole thing to be like a community bullhorn so we have we're we're connecting our audiences with organizations that are uh, represented by identity within these pieces. Sure. Um, we're we doing community spotlights on folks like the first one has one, we have a, a piece called Folks That Get Shit Done. And uh -huh. um, the first one in this one is about Dan Wolf. Um, uh -huh, yay. And all the work that uh, he's been doing around the world. And I feel like what you're gonna, just gonna see is like this, what we hope is, is this, this, this bowl of community mm -hmm. and that what I, it, it, it attempts to do two things, maybe, well, I don't know if it's two. One is it's not, I, I, I don't, we, we actually, not entirely, but we move away from the word community because okay. the word community has so many. It's another one of those words. Yeah. yeah. And we've been using, though it's, it's only slightly more defined, but I can define it, uh, the word coalition. Okay. And the reason, the, the, the difference being um, a coalition to me can be something that holds many pieces that are still their own autonomous space. Community has this idea of homogenation a lot. Yes. And when you look at this episode, I think it is emblematic of this idea that each one of the things in there holds its own space. We're not okay. saying that this story and this narrative and, and this history is this history or this history. They're right. all their own things. And, and we didn't look, you won't look for like, oh, wow, they themed it all and they used all the same graphics. We let it all be different. So because the world is different mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, to throw out yet another word that I feel like has a lot of challenges around it, even though it feels like such a positive one, is the word empathy. Ah. And, and the reason why I take a little bit of challenge with it is that empathy's strict definition is to, to feel the same weight, story, pain as another person. Sure. But the problem is that's not actually possible. Right. 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 I can. So I can. I can have compassion for another person's experience. Mm -hmm. I can have sympathy, and more. More to the point, I should still fight for people, even if I can't be in their shoes. Uh huh. You know. And I even if you don't have the empathy, even if you don't, yeah. if you can't, you know, because obviously, yeah. you're right. I can't be. And to say that if I were to look at either of you and go, I feel your pain, you'd go, fuck you, John. <laughs> you know? I cannot feel your specific pain. Um, we are going to find all the places that we can connect. We're going to find all the journeys we can all go on. I can believe in what you, I can see what you believe in. I can fight for it with you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a lot of the problem of, of 
privileged folks that go like, well, I just don't really feel what they're feeling. Like, right. Of course you can't. Right. Of course you can't. And that's the beginning of that journey of actually just, just giving over to experiences that aren't your own, not trying to, because if I, if I say I do, it means what I'm doing is I'm taking your experience and I'm cramming it down into a little box yeah. where I can hold it and I'm not, and I'm not scared of it in any way. It means I've reduced you. Why don't, why don't we spend our time expanding each, uh, on each other? You know? This is the theater first that has, I mean, I've always appreciated and respected theater first, but this exploration just makes me feel like, because the other thing is live theater yeah. versus any other medium that you could use is its own thing. And it's exciting to see this attempt to expand that, to find another way to approach it and not just do, not just be another company doing the same old thing. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. Well, quick question for you, John. Um, and I want to be respectful for everyone's time. Yeah, we're, we're getting that time. Sure. time. How, how has the business model been? I mean, you know, on paper. Oh, my God. So aren't you get... guys the first companies that, like we're saying, we're going to pay people a, a minimum wage just yeah, for yeah. your time, period? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I am so I, I, I'll be like really open with it. We were uh, when I, I came on the budget for Theater First was like about 60K. And uh -huh. um, last season, we ended about 340, which is not a bad jump for four years, you know? Sure. Um, we also didn't, never wanted to become so large that we weren't able to do things our way. Right. Um, and yeah, you're right. There's a lot of things that we have figured out how to do um, a little bit differently. And these are, we just do, have thrown down some big gauntlets, right? That's what we yep. do. Um, we're going to, no more stipends. We're going to pay everyone an hourly wage. Cool. We yep. said that without necessarily even knowing how we were going to do it. And I remember <laughs> a lot of it had to do with this, like reimagining where things were. I mean, the one that actually started that off was saying, we're going to be the first theater company that we know of that um, um, pays actors for the audition process. For the audition. Yep. Yeah. Because we realized we're doing all new work. Anyone coming in the room that are, are putting their translation of those words have helped develop that play. So yeah. they want to get paid for it, right? Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, I always had to say, like, I want to go back to the hourly thing. Like, we, we wouldn't have been able to even figure it out had we not looked at folks like SF Mind Troop and sure. their models that they've been doing something close to that for years you know okay a lot of our collective model comes from them as well and that you know um there's many different i can't push it enough even if i'm doing a bit of a non sequitur or getting there in my way uh -huh. anything we've done is not the thing there are so many other organizations theater or otherwise that have been exploring the things that we've been exploring for years, decades, right. yeah, we're we're a we're we are a particular grouping of of ideas to see how they all work off of one another, mm -hmm. and we'll just take the information and we'll share that information, and somebody coming up right now is going to figure out a better way to do all of the stuff that we've done. Uh -huh. the information will be out there for them. Sorry, I, I can't wait to see. Well, I, I'm looking forward to seeing this. So, how is um, how are you putting these episodes out now? You said last night was the big launch. Yeah. So we 
are um, we, yeah, it comes out once a month. Ah. Um, and then that's about what, what we can figure out how to do because it is so much work. The amount of people behind the scenes working all kind of all over the world right now, uh, uh -huh. Uh, putting these all together uh, and the production is happening. And so we had six commissions, you know, three of them were in episode one chapter uh, and then three of them will be in episode two and they'll kind of go back and forth throughout the year and they'll all end in episodes that will just showcase that particular play. Gotcha. So that's how you get to all 11 of them. That's going to be amazing. It's been pretty great. We've had a, we've never been a place this had a ton, like a, a lot of subscribers. Um, yeah. Because for, for various good reasons, that, that wasn't our model. This year, that's our model. And where we just have, we have hundreds of people that have bought a really inexpensive subscription to the entire season. And also on top of that, um, Kamiya Shokri, who's our education director, we realized, oh, wow, this season would be really good curriculum as well. Mm -hmm. So we have another five, six hundred students around the Bay Area that are using our episodes as a supplemental curriculum. Sweet. Pretty awesome. Nice. Really, really cool. Where, where do you see the future of uh, Theater First? I mean, where do you see your guys or even you in the next five years or so? Coming back. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know if you saw, there's a... A piece that came out in the Chronicle a couple weeks ago is, is that, um, and this is, there's a lot to it, but to, to sum up, because I never do, um, I am demoting myself. Right, I did, yes, yeah. I yeah. did see that, yeah. I'm, I'm demoting myself more into the administrative part of, of, the, of the work, and through our company, and we haven't talked at all about the, the 28 people that create our company members that are sort of the, the brain, the other brain trust mm -hmm. um, along with the board. But instead of just going like, hey, we're going to uh, uh, have a different artistic director or facilitator or whatever that was, obviously what it was, uh, part of it is our company as a, a place where it is time for for this organization to have a, a, a different identity at its, at, at its core, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, that, is leading, that is leading the piece and that I am honored to work for whomever that person is. Mm -hmm. the, the company itself said, well, well, wait, you know, what if we created a pipeline? What if we created right. a, a pipeline model because a lot of people don't want to be artistic directors for a ton of time, or they want to be artistic directors at, at you know, humbly, companies much larger than our own, but they mm -hmm. don't have the sandbox space for that. Right. Um, and my first thought about this, like, okay, so what we're talking about is a pipeline for artistic directors that's focusing on the BIPOC experience. What, the, first of all, there are multiple BIPOC experiences. Right. But, um, but, but my first fear was that it would be looked at like as a fellowship or a mentorship. And right. I feel like that's a like colonialist bullshit we needed to get away from really, uh -huh. really. No one needs me saying, well, when I did it, you know, no one needs that, right? right. <laughs> there are amazing artists throughout the Bay Area and beyond that just like everything we do, I don't need to be told how to do. They don't need to be taught how to do it. They need the space and time to figure it out. Yeah. Be in that space to go like, I've had all of these theories, all of these years, but I know there are no opportunities 
we want this to be the sandbox for this next artistic director coming in. What we're doing is we're doing um, the, uh, the first one will come in and they'll have a half year sort of as an, they'll be called the incoming artistic director where, right. and because it's new work. So you need a year, like at least a half year to like be building commissions, building relationships yeah. and, and, and strategizing a three year space. Yeah. You know, and we're working with, uh, I can't name the, any yet, but we're working with a couple of uh, foundations that are also looking at helping support to make sure that when, as that three years is coming to a close, there's a bulk of money given to that person to help them get national. Sure. If that's what they want to do. Uh -huh. So it's just, it hopefully will just be a pipeline to get, to get just more and more true. And these are words I feel like I can stand behind equitable representation uh -huh. in the, in, in the national and international theaters. It's a huge so, vision. I'm like, I'm scared, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm like this, this sounds like a great direction to be going in. Scared and hopeful sound like a really good really good energy between those two things yeah 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 should always be a little scared it makes us doubt i would believe in the power of doubt sometimes right it can be a monster but also it gives you a chance to say always take a step back and see what the heck it is you're doing and always reevaluate what you're doing no matter what. i love this and i love this conversation i feel bad because i feel like we should also tie it up but um yeah that absolutely seems like a good place to <clears throat> Okay. to kind of put a button in it for now. Yeah, I think so. But also, I mean, you've done amazing work. Well, Theater First itself has done amazing work. Just great diversity, great subject matters, great plays. And I've always heard, you know, the great works of Theater Works. And you, you know, you're one of the individuals Not theater behind works, theater it. First, yeah. I'm sorry, Theater First. That's what I meant. Um, so, you know, you should, I mean, you know, I'm sure you don't want to pat your head, pat, take a pat on the head, uh, on the back, but, you know, you deserve a lot of praise for the work that you've done. It means a lot to hear that. Um, um, I was saying to somebody yesterday that, you know, I'll sum up with this. I was talking uh, with a dear friend, Kathleen Ridley, last night right. on the phone after she had watched the fully, uh, uh, the, the full episode that has 100% ASL interpreted, which was a major Oh, that's right. Oh, those oh, images that's are excellent. so cool. And um, she, you know, she hadn't seen that before. She mm -hmm. hadn't seen it before. And I think it's fair for me to say that she was overwhelmed with the possibilities of what, what that, how that positioned the future of the conversation. Yeah. And, and talking about it, the only thing I can say, you can say to Kathleen is like, the only thing I've ever done right around here is I've learned new ways to listen to the right people. And I listened to her. She made that happen. Right. All I did was figure out, uh, do enough work on myself to listen openly enough to hear the mm -hmm. necessity of something that should have been obvious all along. And I'll, if, I'll give myself I'll, uh, that, and I also give myself that because it's, it's a continued challenge because yeah. it's always continued unpacking to do, to find new and, and better ways to listen without filters, listen without personal objectives um, getting in the way, listen without personal histories and hierarchies getting in the way. Um, that's the mission moving forward. I got to sign up. I'm loving this. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, John Tracy. Um, shout outs, birthdays. 
Oh, Lordy, it's a big list, so I'll try to go quickly. <laughs> it's okay. um, Lucinda Hitchcock Cone um, is somebody I met when I did a show in Sacramento, and um, and every time we bump into each other again, I'm so excited. She is such an amazing talent actress. Um, Regina Evans, <laughs> who is sort of on the other end of that spectrum. I met Regina when she had just come back from Australia and was helping out with Central Works. And now she's gone on to create this whole thing around um, sex traffic, sex workers, sex trafficking, um, and her own solo piece. And and then her shop, if you've gone to her shop, in fact, <laughs> Regina sold me my tuxedo that I wore for my wedding and my wife her dress. <laughs> It's a weird small world. Lisa Ramirez, who you met, who you mentioned, her birthday is coming up this week. Michael Lopez, somebody I worked with at uh, Thick Description many, many years ago. Um, we did at least a couple of shows together there, um, and he's now on the East Coast. Uh, Tim, God, I'm going to mess up his name. G, 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 N, G, N, G, I, U, G, N, I. Um, one of the two puppeteers I've ever gotten to know a little bit, and I love both of them because they use puppets, but they're very adult <laughs> in their approach to it. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything racy. It does mean that you get sucked into a puppet show a lot deeper than you ever imagined you would. Mm. Eric Avales is one of the two people I think I have on the list who is somebody I met through Each One Reach One, going into juvenile halls and teaching playwriting. Um, Emily Talbot, um, I'm getting ready to work with next week in about a week or so because she's going to be directing one of the plays for Playground. Um, Anika, Anika Bergman is a, somebody I had never met before and she had to step into As You Like It last summer, short rehearsal process. I think she got five performances and had to learn music on top of it all. She was amazing, wonderful. Michael Ray Wisely, and I was so happy to see Michael's name pop up on the list um, because he, his wife, Wendy, has just come out of the hospital with, was it brain cancer? Oh, my God. Um, and, you know, they put out this very hopeful message this week. So if you know them, sending some love their way, please. But it's his birthday's coming up this week. Akina Ghosh is somebody else I worked with on As You Like It last summer. There were a couple of performers, there were a lot of performers in that show that I felt like I was competing with. It's like, my scene is next, your scene is a fucking heartbreaker, and I gotta come with the comedy in the next scene. God damn you. And she was one where I was like, okay, fuck that, I'm just writing that off every show. You're. She would do an exit, and we would stand there and wait for her exit to finish, and then we'd start to talk, and the audience would applaud. And it was like, you're not applauding for us. You're applauding for us, throwing as much love towards her as you can. Just amazing. Um, I share a birthday with her, and with L. Peter Callender, and with Ryan Montgomery. Um, so if you know Peter, Peter is running the African American Shakespeare Company. He is probably the premier African American actor in the Bay Area. Uh, Ryan, on the other end of the spectrum, is a wonderful actor, but is also somebody who works with his hands and does this incredible craft and woodwork. Um, Nina Handler is somebody, I'm not sure we've ever been face-to-face, -face, but she's, isn't she running a space now? I think, I, James Lantoya is a young, was a young when I met him, um, um, Filipino-American actor. Lori Zook was running a space in downtown Oakland or helping to run a space called the Metro, Oakland Metro. Gorgeous little space. They've actually torn that whole building down and are putting up a huge high rise. 
Um, but the Oakland Metro folks have moved on and are doing, still doing the, they do a lot of music work as well as performance work. Uh, the Oakland Opera, I think, is their baby. Um, almost done. Carolyn Doyle, somebody that we know. I'll leave that one for Reg. Gina Purdyman is somebody I've not met, but she is the wife of Chico Purdyman, who is one of my favorite actors. So when he got married, I was excited to see that he brought somebody into the family, into the theater family here. Casey Jones Bastions is somebody I got to work with on a couple of musicals out at the Willows, which also doesn't exist anymore. And I think she's making noise about moving, leaving the Bay Area, which I'm going to be kind of bummed about. Matt Zimanowski was the other each one reach one guy. Matthew Bale and I worked with out with Livermore Shakes before they were Livermore Shakes, when they were Tri-Valley Shakes. Uh, Rolanda, we mentioned, her birthday is coming up this week. Paige, oh, we didn't mention it on air. I asked you before because I wanted to make sure I didn't mess up her last name. I think she's got an accent over the last E, so I think it's Denis, I hope. Um, last one's Paige Rogers, amazing solo. When I first got to the Bay Area, solo performance was huge across America, and Paige Rogers was one of those people that made me go, shit, we've got this here. This is amazing. Uh, Yolanda Bradshaw, young African-American actress. And final one is our guest from last week, Taranj Yegiazarian, um, Golden Thread Theater, who is also stepping down. Um, so we're going to see this transition that's happening. Those are my birthdays for the week. Ridge? And uh, my, yeah, we've had um, Taranj Yegiazarian and also uh, Paige Rogers. We've had, uh, all, all of them have been on the A. Let's see, uh, um, along with you, uh, a good friend of mine, I've had a couple of friends who have graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts, Elizabeth Croydon, and she is a, a, a comedic actress. As a matter of fact, she's done stand-up comedy, and I think she's been on, um, um, oh, shucks, what is the, um, it's the very famous one in Toronto? I, I can't think of. I Second City, what? Second City, yes. Okay. So, uh, so her birthday is on the 12th. She shares that with you, along with my sister, um, Shantice Foster. No, I'm sorry. Nicole, my other sister. Any case, ah, don't get birthday. your sisters mixed up. I know, I know. Bad me, bad me. Uh, any case, uh, also, you mentioned Carolyn Doyle. Her birthday, it will be the next day. That's Tuesday. Fantastic actress, and she will also be participating in the Breck Project, which I'm involved oh, in. Nice. I'll talk about that later. Yeah, she's an actress. Uh, Susan Evans got her involved, so that that's fantastic. I'm so glad that she's getting involved. She, when she was on the gay, she talked about being a mother and being, uh, you know, of that age where you think that you're just being phased out and you're not being paid attention to. But uh, the theater community will bring you in. You know, if you have talent and Carolyn has a lot of talent, then they'll be work for you. So she's she she'll be um, participating. And uh, so let's see who else do we have. Uh, da, 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 da. Christine Uren, her birthday is on the 15th. And actually, my sister is on the 15th. Uh, that's Thursday. Also, Christine Oren, she is a fantastic writer and a playwright, and she's also involved in the Breck Project. She's writing a play called The Informer, and uh, she and her husband, Gene, um, hopefully in February, we'll get to do a segment of the A where we talk about people who have uh, fallen in love in theater and how theater can bring people together. So Christine and Jean, and we had her, those are one of the earlier episodes of the A, but we'll bring them back in. So they'll talk about love and theater. In any case, happy birthday, um, Christine. Let's see who else, uh, Taranj Page, we've talked about them. Aaron Martinson, he's a fantastic actor. He and I shared the stage. We did Pride Open and uh, one of the very, very first plays that 
uh, that I got produced was a uh, one act play called uh, Father Son, where uh, I, as a father, think that my son is gay. Actually, he isn't gay. He's just metrosexual and <laughs> hilarity ensues and he was my son although he's white and i'm black it didn't matter and uh, that was one of the very last productions before uh chuck polly passed away but aaron martinson he's a fantastic actor we had a lot of fun work i had a lot of fun working with him uh i'm not sure if he's in the bay area anymore but um his birthday is friday so i want to give a shout out to him and uh, on saturday and of course we'll have a yay episode so we'll talk uh saturday dale murphy and Dale Murphy has been uh, a veteran of the Bay Area stage. I worked with Dale uh, when we were uh, with Ray of Light Theater. Uh, I think he was involved in, um, it was Bat Boy, the musical. And Dale is, you know, one of the, we talk about theater as a community. Dale is one of these guys where uh, he, he will work on another theater project and all of a sudden I'll get a phone call or an email and he's like, hey, I'm working on this thing and I told them about you and, you know, do you want to act or, you know, do a reading? And I'm like, wow, thank you so much, Dale. And so it's, it's one of the cool things about the Bay Area theater community where everyone is trying to support everyone else. Like if I'm working on a project and I think that Norman would be good for it, then I'll mention his name. And if Norman's working on a project and he thinks that I'll be good for something, he'll mention my name. So all of us are, you know, supporting each other. And Dale is certainly, I think I've gotten two or three jobs just off of Dale saying, hey, check out this guy named Reg Clay. So I want to give a shout out to Dale. Thank you so much. His birthday is Saturday. And that's my list. Yay. Shows. But anybody uh, you want to throw in on the John? It's, uh, it's, yeah, um, my mom, October 17th. Right on. Up. Happy birthday. Yay, Libros! Um, yeah, um, yeah, you know, she, she, I will say, is uh, an amazing author and uh, amazing supporter of the arts throughout the Bay Area. And uh, she and my dad have been there for me from the start. So happy birthday, mom. Right on. That's fantastic. Um, you have any shows you want to um, push? Yeah, uh, Jeffrey Lowe um, has a piece uh, reading that they did last night. So I'm not sure, you know, with all this online stuff, I'm not sure if that means it's done or if it's still happening. But I will send you a link for it. It's through an organization. I just had it up. Where was it? Um, in New York. Wow. Right on. Uh, is that it? Nope, that's not it. That's my birthday shit. Asian American International Film Festival. He directed a piece called Case Unsolved by C.J. Ariano. Um, so that uh, Neighborhood Stories, Aaron Merritt's thing, has extended and is doing one more today. I think it's at 2 o'clock, so... I don't know that anybody's going to get this information from us before that happens. And then, of course, Playground. Um, I am directing a piece. Reg has a piece in it. <laughs> yeah, right on Playground. Thank you so much. And uh, so yeah, it's, it's very, very cool. Uh, did you want to speak more on what, what's your piece about, Norman? Uh, uh, my piece is, well, they're all under the theme of suffrage. suffrage. And my piece is a very fun piece about voting. We have knights. <laughs> oh, there knight, are knights in my piece. I'm like, <laughs> and and it was so funny because when we were talking about it, they said it sounds like you're wanting to direct this piece, and I was like, ah, uh, that wasn't really what I was trying to say. But yes, I I do want to put knights on stage when we're talking about voting. I yes, 
Right on. No, yeah. Yeah, Suffrage, uh, that is the uh, piece, and Jim Kleinman will be directing mine. And oh. we, we got to get him on. We got to get him on uh, the air. I know, we do. Uh, yeah. And my piece is called uh, Woodhull and the Jailer. Uh, there there are six, I think there's six pieces uh, for six my pieces. playground. And that will be uh, the ninth- uh, week from Monday, the 19th. Yeah, the 19th. I think it's a seven o'clock. <clears throat> when we're live, we usually do an eight o'clock. I think because it's virtual, we're doing a seven o'clock start time. Yeah, so I'm very, very happy and excited to, to for that. Also, let me push a couple of other things. Of course, yep. uh, everyone should check out Theater First's uh, episode one, Magic Fruit, Delano, and you really should sit like a lady. Um, I know it began yesterday, and I imagine uh, people can just go on the website. We'll, we'll post the website on, but that's where people can buy a ticket and see um, the shows. That sounds so cool. Yeah, Is that right, John? Right now, up to this point, you've been able to buy a subscription for the entire season. And once you do, an episode happens, and then you can watch an episode anytime for the whole year. And they just kind of compound like that. Um, starting next week, we'll have uh, uh, individual tickets per episode for people to do. All that will be sliding scale as well. Right on. So we'll have the uh, the website. So you can click on the website to find out the details, and you've got to check it out. Uh, also, um, a good friend of ours, Kari Moy, is in Aurora Theater. Uh, they're doing a play called The Flats. It's an audio drama. Oh. Uh, they're releasing three episodes one week apart beginning October the 23rd. And so um, once again, the, this Aurora is a theater company that's transitioning into streaming things um, right. via online. So that's a thing. And we'll post that up. So that will um, that's that. We've talked about Monday Night Playground. Also, uh, another piece that I'm involved in, I've talked about it before, the Breck Project. Oh, right. The, the uh, Private Lives of the Not-So-Master Race. So me and Scott Munson and Christine Wren and um, Shucks, I should remember the, um, the woman who, uh, there's another woman who has, has, has a piece in it. Uh, I can't figure it out right now. But in any case, um, but we'll yeah, put so a we yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll have a link. And it's basically we're interpreting pieces. Uh, Bertrand Brecht, a long time ago, wrote uh, 29 one act pieces, all called Fear and Misery in the Third Reich. And we're taking five of those pieces and we're reinterpreting it to talk about what's how life is in the uh, Trump administration. My piece is called Judicial Process. Christine's piece is called uh, The Informer. And uh, we're all, um, you know, doing these interpretations, and that will be October the 27th, the 28th, and the 29th, and we will have a link to uh, to post that up. So that's something I'm very excited about. Uh, do I have? I thought I had something else. Hold on for just a second. <laughs> Techno technology, technology. Okay, da, 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 I'm, I'm here. Joketoberfest. That's still going oh, on. Right. Uh, those productions, <clears throat> and so we'll click on that. That's just basically good old comedy. Yeah. sketches um stand-up material uh they've got a, a whole plethora a wealth of uh comics so you yeah can they've, they've been doing comedy stuff for a while yeah exactly so that's every friday and we'll have the link to there and that's it that's all that i have uh john did you have a, did you have a good time yeah let me throw out just just one other thing you guys said was uh you know all of mime troops online content right now has been oh so checking that now they're they've been doing these radio series for for a while and they're just finishing them up so checking them out and if i can plug one more thing is like i feel like right now is the time when we're we can't meet each other in these stages to like you know that friend of yours 
and I have a few that like sent you that play that they wrote and they yeah. asked you to read it. Yeah. Like, right now is the time to read it. You know, right Amen. now is, is to just, is, is not only is it the chance to relate to stories, but it's also like, it's our job right now to just remind the artists around us that they still are artists, that they are still so vital to what we're doing. And these are those, little, those small ways where you can support them by like, yeah, I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna give you some, I'm gonna have a talk with you about it. That's some of the theater we can be doing right now. Yeah, ab ab absolutely. Sure. And and as a matter of fact, I'm one of those guys. I may be sending you a couple of plays, uh, John, <laughs> for uh, Theater First. But, um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, Jim Kleinman, we had a, a, um, a playground meeting uh, yesterday. We have it every Friday. And he had a website that local that playwrights all over the United States can post their plays on. And um, I'm trying to find the link and I can't find uh, it. I, I will. Go ahead. Change? Yes. New, new play exchange. And I, you know, it's a wonderful, uh, it's something that I'll, I'll post up, but it's a wonderful um, resource for individuals looking for plays and also for playwrights to sort of support ourselves and to amplify ourselves. I put up a couple of plays myself and I have a profile up there and it's a great way for your play to be picked up. And I, I put one play, I wrote a play for men in Paris and because I'm a black guy and I'm writing about the civil rights movement, there were two companies, uh, I think in Connecticut and another place that said, hey, we're interested, you know, submit our, submit your play and we'll take a look at it. And I'm like, hey, fantastic. So we will put that up. Uh, it's a great resource for uh, budding playwrights. Any case, thank you so much, John. I know you've been other, under the weather and you gave us an hour and a half of your time. So thank you. It's, it's a time yeah. we're spending with you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So uh, many of you may be looking at this on YouTube. Uh, we want to thank you so much. We want you to like and subscribe and tell us what you like about, you know, what we're doing. And uh, if, if there's something that you don't like, let us know. Uh, hit that like, subscribe button and send in your comments. For those who are traditionally listening to us via the our podcast, uh, as always, you can listen to the A on the Apple podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. You can also find the A on iTunes. Click on iTunes, click on store, use the search engine on the upper right-hand side and search for the yay and you'll find us. If you're an Android user, you can download the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you'll find us. Really any app that you listen to your podcast. We're on Spotify, we're on a bunch of others. There's always some sort of apps that are coming out that you can listen to podcasts. Search, type the yay you'll find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at Reg Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier? <laughs> uh, John, do you have, do you do social media? Is there a place where people can uh, reach out to you? The old, the old Facebook is fine and I have my uh, website if anybody wants to check me out at uh, JohnTracyPlays.com all right, and we'll put the link onto there as well. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, we've, we've got to find, find a better sign-off. Sign and we are...